Welcome to episode 106 of the Doctor Who Day, a Doctor Who podcast. My name is David, and I'm here from the White Finger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about the first episode of Shada. So we open with a scene in space of a dark gray, kind of roundish uh, spaceship, space lab, and there's a red star, red sun in the shot. It seems to be another universe, not the one we're used to seeing. Inside the ship, there is a kind of a roundabout seating area for six people with all their heads pointed towards a central column that is topped with a gray sphere. Um, there is a little twinkly lights in part of the column as, a, as if it's reading their thoughts, collecting their thoughts, and so this kind of a, a scientific think tank. Um, one of them awakens a blonde man with some scarring on his face. He gets up and he goes and sets a control on one of the panel, many panels around the room. The others get very agitated and are squirming around and moving around in their seats, but they're still unconscious. He sets a recorded message to start saying that the scientific study has been quarantined and everything is under control and as the recording keeps repeating he goes over to the orb in the middle and he causes it to ascend and float towards him into his hand and then he leaves with it the others get up from their seating and they stand around, move around, and are very disoriented. We see a cyclist, a student, um, cycling across Cambridge and parks his bicycle, walks across campus, so he's looking for a class or an um, office, and he gets direction, heads over, and then we see a Professor, old professor with little round glasses and a book bag is emptying his books and it's a book lined study. And then the TARDIS we see in the background corner. Uh, the student that we saw previously comes in and uh, introduces himself as Chris Parsons, and this is Professor Cronotis. And they had met at some function of the university. And Parsons is interested in some specialty books. So uh, Cronotus goes in to make tea, asks us to go over there, probably on this shelf or this shelf, and go ahead and look. So the uh, Chris is looking for books while the professor is making tea. The doctor and Amana are punting on the River Cam and talking of, I'm guessing, other writers and other scientists and known minds of um, other graduates of Cambridge. Okay. Correct. Especially Isaac Newton. Um, yeah, they're big fans of Newton. Yes. <laughs> Great cookies, too. Um, and they say how a, what a simple idea punting is that he invented and then the doctor loses his punt as they go under a bridge. We see that um, standing above on the bridge is the man from the spaceship who we learn 
and uh, we know is Sk Skagra. Skagra. Um, he's in a, his white and silver suit, and he has a jaunty white hat on and a white cape to go complete his space outfit. And he's carrying a carpet bag. And he looks down as they go under the bridge. As they go under the bridge and come out the other side, Romana says, do you hear voices? So Parsons finds um, something odd about the book that he's taken. Um, he opens it and he finds it's in a, a language that he doesn't understand or doesn't recognize as an earth language. Dr. Nirmana are uh, on campus and asking a, a little man who's outside on near a message board named, I think he calls him Wilkins. Yes. And uh, he directs him to see Dr. Uh, Professor Kronotis. It's like, well, how'd you know I wanted to see him? It's like, because that's who you wanted to see when you were here in 1960 and 1963. And <laughs> um, relates all these years and the doctor says, I was here to see him in 1958 too, but I was a different body then. Um, apparently, he recognizes the doctor from his visits, and he got a, a honorary degree and such. And so they reminisce a bit, and uh, so they go to see the professor. And as they come in, uh, the professor's not in the room, but uh, the doctor calls out to him, and he tells Romani he'll ask if he wants tea. So he does call from the other room, tea and hot milk and how many sugars? And so they sit and they, they answer and uh, he asks, crackers? And the doctor says, sometimes. I think he says sometimes. Either sometimes or occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. Words, yeah. So um, Skagra uh, walks across campus with this carpet bag. Um, seems to be unnoticed by the other students. The doctor and Kronotis are talking um, and uh, he introduces Romana and all and he says something about oh I've heard all about I've heard all about you. He says when? It's like oh or I will have. It's like get things a little bit mixed up as, in this, uh, as an old time lord. And uh, the doctor says, well, we received your signal, so what did, you know, what can we help you with? Why, why are we here? He says, oh, well, I don't remember if I sent, I don't remember sending a signal. Like, well, if you didn't, then who did? Um, Skagra heads uh, to the same uh, hallway, same uh, breezeway where the doctor and Romana met Wilkins and, um, Wilkins finally heads over to him and he says uh, he wants to see Professor Kronotis. He says, well, he won't want to be disturbed right now. He's talking now with the doctor. The professor says that, oh yes, he probably did send the message, but it was some time ago. He didn't remember what it was. The doctor says, well, does it have anything to do about the voices? We heard voices. He says, oh, it's probably some students talking about exams or something. He says, no, it sounded like humans or ghosts screaming. 
that fresh that remembers all, and maybe it was a message about a book. So meanwhile, um, Chris Parsons has taken this book that he doesn't hasn't identified. Um, he's using a microscope of some kind, some type of equipment, scanning equipment to find out more about it. And as he does this, the smoke pours out of the book, and it gets very hot, and he burns his hands when he picks it up. Skagra uh, is in a town, and he find, he gets a lift with someone who's come out of a shop, and then uh, with the, inside the car, he opens his carpet bag, and the, the gray sphere comes out, attaches to the driver's forehead, and incapacitates the driver, and so Skagra takes over the vehicle. Back in the study, uh, Romana and the doctor said, did you hear voices again? He asked, but much, much fainter this time. They are looking for a book, he says. Um, the professor admits that he brought so when he left Gallifrey, he, he loves his books and his trinkets, and he brought some things with him that he shouldn't have. Um, and the doctor says, well, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, it's bringing things from Gallifrey would, could be quite dangerous. Says, so that's what we're here to look for. Says, so you want us to find it and what, take it back to Gallifrey for you? He says, well, since I'm retired, I'm not supposed to have a TARDIS anymore. So uh, they're looking through things, and, and the doctor finds a book that is a, a uh, like a nurse's school primer or something for time lords and Romana looks at it and reads a bit and says, oh, I had this when I was a time top. So, and that's not the book he was looking for, so he said to the professor, just how many books did you bring back from Gallery? He said, oh, you know, the odd two or seven, but only one is dangerous. Skagra gets to a field and is walking along um, and then seems to be walking up a ramp into the air and into nothing and disappears. The doctor um, then finds out from Professor that the book he's looking for is The Worshipful, Worshipful and Ancient Law of Gallifrey and he gets annoyed with the professor and he walks to the professor who's up on one of the little book ladders looking at the top shelves and lifts him off the ladder and puts him down. And says, how did you get that book out of the Panopticon? That was, it's a relic. It's an artifact um, from Rassilon. And you know, we don't know what all the powers were that Rassilon had. It could be some powers in this book. It could be, you know, dangerous falling into the wrong hands. Oh, no one would understand it, though. So, um, Skagra is aboard his invisible ship. He, um, links and is able to absorb, uh, we see flashing images of the Doctor and his different exploits of, um, when he was, I think most of them are like from when he was in the, the Deadly Assassin, uh, inside the Matrix. Oh, I didn't I, notice that, but you're probably right. Um, 
So he's learned all about the doctor within his spaceship and he reports into his commander and that person on the view screen tells Skagra that all will be ready soon uh, and is preparing to um, continue with their mission and on the screen we see a scaly type interlocking scales appear uh, and this figure of his commander, which I don't think we've learned the name of, uh, shows up on the screen, and then we end. So it's kind of a weird episode. We, we mentioned this last time. Yes, but, um, This story was never completed. And in fact, I, I was kind of surprised to see that Douglas Adams actually doesn't consider it a particularly good episode of his. He wrote it even though he was script editor at the time, and that's usually frowned upon. Um, but he doesn't care for it. He doesn't think it's very good. Yet, having read his Dirk Gently books, he uses a lot of what shows up here in those books. Mm. So he yeah. must have enjoyed the ideas, at least, if not the actual execution of the story. Yeah. So that's kind of strange to me, but... Um, yeah, so the story wasn't completed until in, I guess, 92, I think. 1992, they released. They got him to sign off on it, he claims by mistake, and published a VHS tape mm-hmm. where all the interstitial bits that were never completed are described by Tom Baker playing the Doctor. Yeah. And we, we have a bit of that here. There was a bit of an introduction that he did. Yes. In the um, Museum of Moving Images, yes. I think it was. Yep. Um, with were, different villains and stuff in, from Doctor Who. That they they were doing a Doctor Who exhibition at the time, apparently. I, I saw that. So I like the title called Behind the Sofa. Yes. I like that. Um, so, so we see that little bit before our episode starts and then... Uh, he talks a bit about, oh, Douglas Adams, I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because I, I saw in the info track that the um, Hitchhikers had come out with the year before, two years before, or right when he was, they were filming this, I think. So by the time, by the time they were filming this, Hitchhikers had sold millions of copies and he was already a famous person famous writer something this like that point. yeah and they by, and by, I think by the time that they wanted to do the 1992 version he was doing the um, I think the, the radio uh, no he version. did the radio you got it backwards oh okay he had done the radio version became script editor and as this episode got ready to air they released the book okay so by the, maybe by the time they were they were going to do the the 1992 version, I think, maybe when they were doing the BBC production of Hitchhikers, I think. So was that oh, about yes, that was probably around that time. That's yeah. what I meant. <clears throat> Not the radio, but when the live-action version of the of Hitchhikers. Um, uh, so how how long after? Or when did he write the the Dick Gently? 
Dirk Gently. Dirk Gently. They would have been maybe a little after this. Uh-huh. Uh, 92, I mean. Uh, probably in the mid-90s. Oh. Eh, it had to have been a little earlier than that. So really early 90s. Mm. I'm just curious. Because I was in college when they came out, I believe. So it was between 89 and 93. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Okay, so I, I think it's an interesting story so far, um, what we have to go on. And even the parts where he summarizes what's happening um, aren't so bad, you know. I am very wrong. It was actually first published in 1987. Oh, okay. So more like when I was in driving <laughs> college instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I, I do like the story so far. I, I love that Professor Kronotis makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. I like him. Yeah. Um, he's the, you know, the absent-minded, uh, white-haired professor with the, you know, the tweed jacket and everything and uh, the studied, lined in books and, uh, set in his ways and, uh, creature of habit, you know, that. The professor that you you see and you envision you'd have mm-hmm. in, in college, uh, whether you did or didn't, um, you know, but that's the, the stereotypical absent-minded professor, who in this case happens to be a Time Lord. Yes. Um, gets his tenses mixed up as, as because he's such an old Time Lord, he says, um, jovial, jovial. Uh, but very smart, you know. Just mm-hmm. the actor, he, like I said, he looked a little familiar, but I think maybe it's just because of the the archetype of professor that he's representing, maybe is what I'm seeing. Because I, I, we looked him up, and I don't remember seeing much mm-hmm. that he was in. Well, on he's the in list. some a couple later episodes of Doctor Who. Right. I don't particularly remember him in either of them. Me either. I know I've seen him in those, but I don't remember him. Yeah, I know I've seen him in one. I, I don't remember him, though. I know you haven't seen so, the other one. Um, but anyway, I, I just his part is really enjoyable to, to listen to the little things that he says and such. Um, just the odd two or seven. <laughs> that made me laugh. Um, and which was a, a, I think they said it was an unscripted contribution. He changed it slightly instead of odd one or two, he said two or seven. Um, and then the other unscripted contribution, which was really cute, was Romana. Mm-hmm. And when she was a time tot. It's cute. You don't remember anything about this episode, right? I do remember a little bit. Okay. I have always thought it was a little odd watching this first episode how large his study is. Oh. It seems really particularly large for a college professor's office. Given, well, given that he's not, say, the dean or whatever, headmaster. Yeah. That sort of thing. 
Yeah, good point. Yeah. And oh, I hadn't said in the, the my recap, but um, Chris notices the the TARDIS and the the oh, corner, yeah. and he says he he's about to leave with the books, and he comes back around to look at it and asks, well, "What? What is that? Which you know, how'd that end?" He says, "Oh, probably somebody left it now and then, now and again at some point, you know." Mm-hmm. Um, which leads me to wonder it, it, I imagine that is the doctor's TARDIS the police box in yes. the corner um, but then you have to wonder how he didn't know how to get back to the professor's office right since he obviously started from there right Because I was going to say, well, they could have gotten there and left the TARDIS and, and left the room and went punting or whatever because the professor was in classes. Because when we first see the professor in his study, he's emptying his book bag like he's just arrived back from being out. Right. But that wouldn't explain why they have to ask where he was. Unless they were just saying, seeing if he was back. Was asking Wilkins, mm. had he checked in? Maybe was he back from his classes or something before yeah, he maybe. went back up there? Kind of loosely explain that, unless we find out that's a police box and not a TARDIS. No, I'm pretty sure it's the TARDIS. Yeah. But I, I think that may open a whole other line of questions later. We'll get back to that when okay. time comes. But I did like to say, oh, someone probably left it there at the time or whatever. Um, otherwise, there's not a whole lot else. I mean, you said this was a pretty full episode. Mm-hmm. There's only two little bits that Tom Baker had to do a voiceover to explain what we had missed. Yeah. He did a little bit to explain the sphere in the car, because they didn't actually film that, that we saw anyway. Yeah, oh, there's three bits. And then the bits about um, Chris in the book, when he describe, right. discovers yep. that how it's written, and that when he tries to examine it, he burns himself. I think those yeah, are three. Yeah, he energizes it in some way. Oh, no, there was four. There was a bit in the spaceship, uh, Skybra. He, he does a voiceover, says that. At the end. At the end, that, yeah. He he tells, he learns about the doctor. and um, Like I said, we see a little bit of that, but... Um, well, yeah, they used some stills that I think are from scenes later. Yeah. But all in all, that wasn't too disruptive. I think we still are able to follow the story with what uh, he fills in. Mm-hmm. It's a nice idea that, you know, there's this something from Gallifrey that could be dangerous and that Doctor, we meet yet another Time Lord, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Yep. No, I really like this story. This is one of my... I, I don't understand why he doesn't care for it very much. Hmm. Uh, Douglas Adams, I mean. Yeah. Especially since he uses pretty much the whole story in Dirk Gently. Mm. Character name and all. 
I'm not kidding. He's got a character in there named Professor Carnotus. Oh, yeah. Well, and then that idea of an invisible spaceship. Mm-hmm. Been used. Yeah. So, but anyway, a, a good first episode. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know more about it. See the rest. Yeah. Anything else, or do we want to just do the cliffhanger? I uh, no, I don't have anything else. Mm-mm. So it's kind of hard to describe this as a cliffhanger since we didn't really see it. Right. But it's, I guess, the revelation of the bad guy? Uh, I think so. Or the, the commander of the Skagra, who seems to be the, the bad guy so sure. far. Yeah. But, um,. I guess it's, um, he was in non-humanoid form, so we've got the monster of the week, you know, mm-hmm. reveal. So I guess that's the, the extent of the, the ending that we have, really. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah, there was, it really wasn't going to be anything else you could end on that was going to be very interesting, Mm-mm. you know. As far as I could tell, so not at that point in the story. So it was just fine to, to end right there, and nobody's in direct danger. But there's this another another element that there's this other alien creature mm-hmm. directing things and and maybe materializing there soon. So that was uh, it. Did enough, effective enough. Yeah, as best we can tell, anyway. Yeah, you know. At least I think that's what they intended. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. All right. Well, join us tomorrow when we try to cover the second part of Shada. It will be a slightly shorter episode for us to watch, so we'll have to see how long the actual episode for us takes. Okay. But anyway, that's what we will be talking about tomorrow. Join us then, and thank you for listening.